and this is Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, I was meditating on that, and I thought about the acceptable sacrifice of Thanksgiving. And I don't mean the day, although that day's good. And obviously, uh, as the sign says on Celebration Lutheran out front, Thanksgiving is a way of living. It's a life. But thank God that we have a day that's been set aside that we purposely and intentionally focus in on Thanksgiving. And Thursday, there were people giving thanks who probably the rest of the year will never give thanks, uh, or at least very little, uh, and, and being grateful. So as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we bring many things to God. Some of them are of a religious nature. I don't mean that in a good sense. Religion is nasty. Religion is dirty. Religion, in my opinion, is evil. Because it has nothing to do with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Sometimes, even though the things we bring appear so on the surface, they are not an acceptable offering to God. We, we bring things to draw attention to ourselves. We bring things to try to soothe our own conscience or to meet some quota. I don't know how many times I've met people over the years and they find out what I do. For, I almost hate for people to find out what I do. For a little, we were, we were uh, Brother Charles Simpson and I and a couple of Dwayne Higginson and Ronald Gray were playing golf a few weeks ago in in uh, Daphne, Alabama, and uh, we were about ready to tee off, and uh, a guy, one of the rangers, if you know, if you're a golfer, a, you know, a ranger is kind of the police on the golf course. He he uh, he looked. I had a, an LSU shirt on, and he was an LSU fan, born in Baton Rouge, and so he started talking to us. And boy, did he have a blue streak coming out of his mouth! <laughs> Words that would make your toes curl. And, I mean, he just, I don't even, I don't, anyway. I can't even think those words, much less say them. And we got down the driving range, and Brother Charles and I were in a cart together, and Ronald and Dwayne were in a cart together, and we were kind of hidden. And if you don't know who Dwayne Higson is, he's the pastor of Grace Temple Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And of course, you know Ronald Gray because he comes here and speaks. I said to those guys, I said, that guy up there, he had kind of a blue language coming out of his mouth. I said, for his sake, I am really glad he didn't ask us what we do. (laughs) Four preachers. Well, sometimes what we bring to God is not acceptable. What I was going to say is, when people find out what I do, they all they they cock their head. They always cock their head like this, and they either start with my grandma or our church feeds the homeless. Of course, you know my question is: Do you, or are you are you getting credit from your church and you not even doing it? 
Oh, well, don't get me started. God, in this passage, identifies to us the sacrifice that pleases and honors him. That pleases and honors him. If you would turn to Psalm 50, if you haven't already, this is a psalm of Asaph. And we'll see his name later. Uh, Suffice it to say, Asaph is a singer. But he gives us this this psalm. We're not going to read the entire psalm. We're going to read... Uh, the first 15 verses, then I'm going to skip down to the last two. If you would stand while I read the sacred scriptures today, and I'm reading again from the English Standard Version, and it says, The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes, he does not keep silent. Before him is a devouring fire, and around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is Judge Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. You don't want to hear that. I am God Your God, not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Skip down to 22. Mark this then, you who forget God. Let that sink in. You who forget God, lest I tear you apart. Let that sink in. And there be none to deliver. Watch this verse. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. You can be seated. We pray that the Holy Spirit would add his anointing and unction to the reading of the scripture. The sacrifice of thanksgiving. And again, uh, thank God for the day of the year that we celebrate, but we pray that that day causes us to be reminded that our life should be a life of thanksgiving and gratitude. I'm going to show you why today. But the psalmist says, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. We don't offer bulls and goats and all that stuff, and God wasn't pleased with the way they did it. Sacrifice of praise. The writer of Hebrews says, therefore, by him let us continually. Everybody say continually. That's, that's a, you don't stop. You don't reach a point in your life of praised enough. Continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. 
continually. It wasn't the absence of sacrifices offered that God was rebuking them for. Uh, they, they offered, they had offered all, he says, you know, all that's before me, but they offered with the wrong motive and the wrong attitude. They were offering their sacrifices to manipulate God. You've done that. You know how I know you've done that? Well, I peeped in your window. No, because I've done that. We've all tried to offer to God a sacrifice of whatever so that we can get him to do what we want him to do. Oh, me or amen. And that's what they were doing. And he said, in Isaiah 1, the same God said, I've had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and, and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. And you say, well, he's the one who told them to do all that. He didn't tell them to do it with the wrong attitude, though. They were, they were seeking to buy God's favor with their sacrifices. And don't tell me we don't do that. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. Let me ask you a question. What do we, or let me just say it this way, what do you, and that includes me, bring to God that is unacceptable? What don't, I don't want you telling me, I don't want you telling anybody for that matter, what do you bring to God that God doesn't accept as his sacrifice? And I'll just, religious activities, top of the list. We think because we do religious things that it pleases God. Well, we see here that that's not true. They were doing the most religious thing they could do, but it wasn't their heart. Malachi said, O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? Religion? I said earlier, religion is evil. And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Go present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. What, what do we bring to God? Do we, do we bring the part of our life or parts of our life to him and present them to him? Do, do we bring secondhand commitment and allegiance? What do we bring to him? We bring in, in the, the parallel of lame or sick animals. This is why you hear me when we're receiving uh, offering, not money offering, but things for the kids down in Smithville and things like that, Christmas families. And we're, we're collecting toys or gifts or whatever. You hear me say every time, please don't bring your junk. Because that's what Christian people do. Oh, yeah, the kids down down they need some help. Well, I got this bicycle over here. You know, it's, it needs a new tire and the chain's coming off. I'll donate that. I know they'll be real happy. And I'll feel pretty good about myself. And the fact is, too often we come to God that way. And that's what he's saying here. Go present that to your governor. See what he says. You think just because I'm not on the earth or I'm invisible that you can just despise my offerings. Let me just tell you today. You've heard me say this. 
and it's not original with me. If Jesus is a very important part of your life, then you got a big problem. Jesus should never be a very important part of your life. Jesus should never be a part of your life at all. He should be your life. And your commitment to him has to be 110%. Your commitment to Christ cannot be dibble-dabble. It cannot be playing games. It cannot be bringing stuff to satisfy some something of God or try to manipulate God. Your, your sacrifice that you bring to God cannot be something to soothe your own mind and to meet some quota. But your commitment to God must be this. I die daily. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but it's Christ who lives through me. That's, that's the commitment that we need for him. So we talk about the sacrifice of thanksgiving. So you have to talk for a few moments about the songs of thanksgiving. Songs of thanksgiving. I'm going to read Second Chronicles 5. If you want to turn, you're welcome to do so. If you're looking at the notes in the YouVersion app, they are already there. And it says this. Listen. It says, And when the priest came out of the holy place, holy place where they'd go in and offer sacrifices, and then parenthetically it says, For all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves. Did you hear that? Consecrated themselves, set themselves apart unto him without regard to their divisions. And all the Levitical singers, here's Asaph, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, their sons and kinsmen, arrayed in fine linen. They had some nice threads with cymbals. Listen, cymbals, harps, and lyres. Now that's L-Y-R-E-S. It's not like... When you're on the golf course and you say, as long as we're lying the same. Yeah. Stood, okay, nice again. Stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeteers. You know, they didn't say anything about tambourines, darling. It was the duty, listen, it was the duty of the trumpeteers and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals, still no tambourines, and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Songs of thanksgiving. We should never denigrate the gathering of God's people in any configuration, whether it be something like this, whether it be a small gathering in someone's home, where whatever, if it's just a few people gathered over in the corner somewhere. We should never denigrate the value of that because here's what it says. It says that they were intentional intentional and purposeful about their songs, about singing. 
Thanksgiving. They were organized. Everybody knew who they were. Everybody knew where they were supposed to be, who they were with. Everybody contributed. All of the Levitical singers and the, the musicians playing the cymbals and the other things, a full array of musical instruments. And their their target was not, I'm not against this, so don't, but it's not, wasn't getting, a, their target was not to get a record deal. <laughs> record deals are good. You know, some people make a living as plumbers. Some people make a living as electricians. Some people make a living, no, they don't. But anyway, some people do. Somebody said once it, landing a record deal in Nashville is like you could win the lottery before you did that. Okay. Praise and thanksgiving. And what results is the glory of God. It may not be the glory of God to the degree that the cloud fills the room and people can't stand up, but I've seen times like that. You can't have that. If you had that every time, you wouldn't appreciate it. Psalm 22 says, yet you are holy, O you who are, everybody say, enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Where does God inhabit? Where is he enthroned on our praises? When we praise God, when we offer thanksgiving to God, and you do have something to be thankful for, as we, we found out with Oren and others, when you are thankful to God, you are creating a place for God to inhabit, to be enthroned on. He's enthroned on your praises, songs of thanksgiving. So we'll finish out with the effect of gratitude. If What does gratitude do in us and through us? Well, the first thing that gratitude does, thanksgiving does, is that we enter into his presence. Being grateful and, and giving the, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, will bring us into his presence. And I don't mean we leave here and go to heaven, but we, we have, you have, I have many times, sometimes in this room and sometimes in other rooms, we have experienced the presence of God. Psalm 95 says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And let us come into his presence with what? With thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. And, of course, you're familiar with Psalm 100 that says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with praise. So how do we find ourselves in God's presence or find ourselves where we can sense God's presence. It's through thanksgiving. It's through praise. It's through honoring God. Why is that? Well, how does that happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happens is when you're doing that, when you're spending your energy, your focus, you're, you're doing all that and you're directing that at him, the focus is on him and not you. And when you do that, you set everything else aside and you give all of your energies to the Lord God. You find yourself in his presence. Another, another effect of gratitude is that we recognize the source of our provision and our protection. 
It's easy to think we did it all. It's easy to think that we're the source. It's easy to think that we've produced this. Psalm 121 says, I, I, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? It's, what's good is he answers his own question. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Don't miss that. If you just said my help comes from the Lord, that would be good enough. It would be good enough for me. But he said, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So the kind of God that we have that helps us is the kind of God who can create heaven and can create an earth. That's a pretty good God. Are you all there? Okay. Just make sure you haven't put you to sleep yet. Being grateful. To God is ascribing to the Lord all that we are thankful for. Being grateful is saying, it's you. Our gratitude is always directed to him. Now, we thank people for things they've done for us. That's good, and you should. But ultimately and primarily, our thanksgiving is to God because without God, we aren't. You aren't anything. Paul writes in Corinthians, what do you have that you did not receive? Think about that. What do you have that you did not receive? Now, you see, you're sitting on these blue chairs. These blue chairs were made in Lawrence. Is it Lawrenceburg or Lawrenceville, Tennessee? Berg. See, I always get them confused. I used to know how to operate this. There we go. You're sitting on these blue chairs this morning. You didn't make that chair. I didn't make that chair. Somebody else made that chair. Where'd it come from? Well, it came from a truck that backed up to our door. We hauled it in here and sat it inside. Actually, this one was a gift from Global Vision Church. It's another story. What did you? What do you have that you created on your own? What do you? What? I'm I'm being redundant. I know I'm being repetitive, but I want us to get this. You don't have anything that you didn't receive ultimately. So, well, I got I worked and got a paycheck. How'd you get that energy? How'd you get the ability to work? How'd you even get the job without God's help? He's either Lord or he's not. He's the, he's the source and the provision for every, everybody say every, every aspect of our lives, every aspect. God's not involved in part of your life. He is your life. We also see that gratitude, get, a grateful heart does, does not forget. A grateful heart does not forget. We as human beings, we have a tendency to forget. What do we forget? We forget the benefit that we might have derived from someone. We forget what someone has done for us. Now, here comes a really poor example, but guess where it's coming from? The Andy Griffith Show. What else? Come on now. Wake up. It's a really bad example because it involves a chain letter. 
But Barney gets a chain letter, and Andy goads him into throwing it away, which was the right thing to do. And then he runs into a chair, stubs his toe, and he's convinced that he's jinxed because he threw away the chain letter. In a little while, here comes Goober Pyle bringing him his chain letter. And Barney's, he grabs the chain letter, and he sits down to the typewriter because he wants to reply to it. And Andy says, Barn, don't you think you need to say something to Goober? I mean, he's giving you his chain letter. And Barney looks up from the typewriter and says, oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> you think he was grateful? No. We have a human tendency to forget when people are doing things. for. Let me just tell you this, too. Gratitude is not a permanent condition. It'd be great if it was. We'd be grateful all the time. We would we'd be automatically grateful, but it's not a permanent condition. We have to make a choice to be grateful. We have to make a choice that the fruit of our lips would give thanks to God's name. It's not going to come automatically. Psalm 103 said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You know why God, through the Holy Spirit, had the psalmist write that? Because we forget his benefits. We forget what he's done for us, especially in times of prosperity. In times of prosperity, well, we get busy, we get going, and we forget. He said, don't forget all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? Did you see the word all? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Don't forget his benefits. Who satisfies, who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And don't forget that he's the one who forgives your iniquity and heals your diseases. And blesses you with steadfast love. Remembering God's deliverance and salvation causes us to issue expressions of gratitude. You should, you should discipline yourself whether you're in the middle of a storm or not. You should discipline yourself to issue expressions of gratitude to God. Well, sometimes I don't understand what he's doing. Well, welcome to the club. If if you ever figure God out, just come say goodbye to me real quick. Because you're going to meet him. You can't do that. But you can say Thank you, Lord, as Oren. Thank you, Lord, for my family. Thank you for the folks in the army who defended our rights. Thank you for, I mean, it's, you don't have to thank him that he, you know, he made the earth. I think you can, but you don't have to. But you can thank him for the little things. And if you do that, if you begin to, be, to thank God, you, you, your demeanor will change. Your outlook will change. Your attitude will change. Your perspective will change. 
Deuteronomy 6. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that, watch, you did not build. Did you hear that? Great and good cities that you did not build. And houses, think, all right, we got houses, houses full of all good things that you did not feel. We say, well, I, I, I put all that stuff in my house. Cisterns, and we don't, some of you don't know what a cistern is, but it catches water. That you did not dig. And vineyards, too many of you know what vineyards are. Come on. And vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. Are you getting a theme? And when you eat and you are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. All the stuff, provisions that we did not build, we did not dig, we did not feel, but who did? Obviously he did. Another thing that gratitude does is to diffuse self-centeredness and promote humility. I couldn't say eliminate self-centeredness because as long as we're in this human body, we're going to battle that old rascal. Paul said, man, alive, the things I want to do, I, I don't do them. And the things that I do not want to do, I wind up doing those things. And I got a war going on within me. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Who's going to deliver me from this flesh? Who? Well, the very next verse, remember there are no chapter verse divisions in the original manuscripts. The very next verse says, there is therefore now no condemnation. To those who are in Christ Jesus. Self-centeredness cannot survive in an atmosphere of gratitude and thanksgiving. It just can't do it. You, you don't have that ability. If we're giving thanks to God and doing it from a pure heart, if we're giving thanks and, and with an attitude of gratitude, we cannot at the same time be focusing on ourselves in a self-centered manner. It's impossible to express gratefulness while simultaneously maintaining ourselves as the center of our universe. You just can't do it. Your muscle won't work that way. Now, when you stop offering thanksgiving to God or having a thankful heart, then it's real easy if you don't watch it for you to get over into that flesh part and get, it's all about me. The Toby Keith song. What about me? A body of a growing body of research is confirming that an ounce of gratitude is worth a pound of cure. The practice of gratitude can have dramatic and lasting effects in a person's life, said Robert Emmons, who's the professor of psychology at the University of California, Davis, and he's a leading scientific expert on the science of gratitude. This is what he says, another benefit. It can lower blood pressure. 
Think about it. If you really have a grateful and a thankful heart and you're expressing that, how many times do you do that and your blood pressure goes wild? Never. It, it can improve immune function. Be great to have that right now, wouldn't it? And this one too. And facilitate more efficient sleep. I'll read that again. Gratitude can lower blood pressure, improve immune function, and facilitate more efficient sleep. This is the science of it. This is not a, a theology professor. This is a science professor saying this. Gratitude reduces lifetime risk for depression, anxiety, and substance abuse disorders and is a key resiliency factor in the prevention of suicide. All of that, why? Because we have removed the focus from ourselves. What about me, God? What about me? Well, what about him? What about I turn the focus from me, what I want, what I need? What, what about if I take that focus and that attention and I turn it to him in gratitude? Thank you, Lord, that I woke up this morning and I put my feet on the floor and I'm breathing. Do you ever thank God for the fact that you, you're breathing? You woke up? Some people don't wake up. There's a story in the Bible. We're not going to read it. There's a story in the Bible where 10 lepers came to Jesus. He's on his way from Samaria to Galilee or to Jerusalem between Samaria and Galilee. And these 10 lepers approach him, hey, we'd like to be healed. And the Bible talks about, or it talks about that they have an advanced condition of leprosy. And they cried out for mercy. All 10 of them cried out for mercy. And he turned and looked at them. And here's what he did. He didn't, you know, I don't know if he had one of our little bottles of anointing oil or not, but he didn't, he didn't do anything. He said, hey, go show yourself to the priest. And he turned and walked away. What a healing method. I mean, that'll never get you on TV. <laughs> TBN will never come looking for you. That's all you do. <laughs> go show yourself to the priest. Why would he do that? Well, because of Leviticus 14.2 says... That you should go show yourself to priests. Do you notice that Jesus is abiding by the current law of the day? I won't, I won't chase that rabbit. But the interesting thing is, as they were walking away, every one of them were cleansed. Just by their very, they were headed to the priest in obedience to the word of God and in obedience to the law of God. Recorded in Leviticus. And in so doing, they were cleansed. All ten of them. Boom. One of them. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. What was he going to do? Praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him I, it's, I just love it that Luke adds here, now he was a Samaritan. Racial thing. One of them. Ten people, ten lepers, immediately healed just by 
taking a few steps towards where the priest is, one of them turns back and says, hey, wait a minute, and falls at his feet and begins to give thanks. Jesus' response, where are the nine? Exactly what he said. Jesus said, where are the nine? I've got one here offering thanks. Of course, here's, watch this part. He didn't say he came back to thank me. He said he came back to thank my father. Jesus gives us the greatest example that it's not about him. You'll never see in the scripture or any other place, you'll never see anything that Jesus does that is self-centered or self-directing. It's always to the Father. He said that he came back to thank my Father in heaven. Where's the, where are the nine? Well, you know where they were. They were consumed with themselves. Hey, man, we, we're healed. Let's, let's go do what we've been doing. You say, well, well, if Jesus knew that, why didn't he heal one of them? Because he's God. But the one fell on his face in thanksgiving. Lastly, we recognize that we are sheep and he is our shepherd. When you're, when you're grateful... When you offer thanksgiving, it gives you, and I'll say it again in a moment probably, but you, it gives you perspective. Psalm 79, another psalm by Asaph said, So we, your people, and the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. Don said we're going to be doing this forever, so you might as well get used to it. To all generations we will tell of your praise. We, your people, the sheep of your pasture, we're going to thank you forever, for eternity. Gratitude gives us that perspective. What perspective? That we belong to him. He doesn't belong to us. We belong to him. Now, he belongs to us in the sense that he's committed to us, but we belong to him. We're his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. It's not the other way around. God is not your cosmic Santa Claus. God is not your butler. He's your Lord. True worshipers are people of gratitude. And people of gratitude are people with the right perspective of themselves and their God. We don't need to let our gifts convince us that we are inherently great. The word, the key word there is inherently. You may be great, but if you are great, God made you great. And you need to remember that. coach of the Buffalo Bills was a guy named Frank Reich. When they won a game recently, first thing he did when he went to the, is it Buffalo Bills? Who's he coach? Indianapolis Colts. He used to play for the Buffalo Bills. That's where I got that. When they won a game, he went to the microphone and he said, the first thing I want to say before we say anything else, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ for what he's done for me and what he's done for us. He didn't say help us win the game. He just said, I want to give him praise and thanks before we do anything else or I take any of your questions. Why? Because he realized his perspective is he wouldn't even be standing there 
if it wasn't the power of God and the salvation of Jesus Christ in his life. Would that we could find 31, how many teams are there, 32 teams? 31 more coaches like that. I don't know. Lester Flat and Earl Scruggs wrote a song and someone who would normally be sitting over here recorded it entitled Don't Get Above Your Raising. And that's what we do when we lose perspective. That's what the nine did. They lost perspective. They got above their raising. They forgot who they are. Gratitude will bring us back to being his sheep, to being his people. Bring us back to realizing that he's our shepherd. He's our Lord. Now I'm going to close. Aren't you glad to hear that? I have given you this story before. Uh, I've even I've even included in, in at least one of my kernels of truth years ago. This is a great story, and you're going to recognize it. But it comes, I get it from several places. But I like Max Licato wrote a book in 1991 called In the Eye of the Storm. Just about anything by Max Licato is good. And what's funny is when I read this, I can hear him saying it. An old man walks down a Florida beach. The sun sets like an orange ball on the horizon. The waves slap the sand. The smell of salt water stings the air. The beach is vacant. No sun to entice the sunbathers. Not enough light for the fishermen. So aside from a few joggers and strollers, the gentleman is alone. He carries a bucket in his bony hand, a bucket of shrimp. It's not for him. It's not for the fish, it's for the seagulls. He walks to an isolated pier cast in gold by the setting sun. He steps out to the end of the pier. The time has come for the weekly ritual. He stands and waits. Soon the sky becomes a mass of dancing dots. The seagulls. The evening silence gives way to the screeching of birds. They fill the sky and then cover the moorings. They are on a pilgrimage to meet this old man. For a half hour or so, the brushy-browed, shoulder-bent gentleman will stand on the pier, surrounded by the birds of the sea, until his bucket is empty. But even after the food is gone, his feathered friends still linger They linger as if they're attracted to more than just food. They perch on his hat. They walk on the pier. The old man on the pier couldn't go a week without saying thank you to seagulls. His name was Eddie Rickenbacker or Eddie Rickenbacker. I'm not sure. If you were alive in October 1942, you remember, and I wasn't, just in case you're wondering, You probably remember the day that he was reported missing at sea. He had been sent on a mission to deliver a message to General Douglas MacArthur. With a hand-picked crew in a B-17 known as the Flying Fortress, he set off across the South Pacific. Somewhere the crew became lost. The fuel ran out and the plane went down. All eight crew members escaped into the life rafts. They battled the weather, the water, the sharks, and the sun, but most of all, they battled hunger. 
After eight days, their rations were gone. They ran out of options. It would take a miracle for them to survive. And then a miracle occurred. After an afternoon devotional service, which he did every day, by the way, I don't know if he includes this, but by the way, several of these men became followers of Jesus Christ during this time. Why all of them, I don't know. Rickenbacker was dozing with his hat over his eyes. Something landed on his head. He would later say that he knew it was a seagull. He didn't know how he knew. He just knew. That gull meant food if he could catch it. And he did. The flesh was eaten. The insides were used as fish bait. And the crew survived. What was a seagull doing a hundreds of miles or hundreds of miles away from land? Only God knows. But whatever the reason, Rickenbacker was thankful. As a result, every Friday evening, this old man walked to the pier, his bucket full of shrimp and his heart full of thanks. We'd be wise to do the same. We've much in common with Rickenbacker. We too were saved by a sacrificial visitor. And Lakato capitalizes those two words. We too were rescued by one who journeyed far from only, from only God knows where. And we, like the captain, have every reason to look into the sky and worship. He was just saying thank you. Thank you. Gratitude should be a way of life for the believer. Even if we don't if we have no miracle like Captain Rickenbacker and his companion companions to report, but gratitude to God should be our life. Would you agree? Stand with me.